New Taipei's preschool cluster expanded to 23 people on Wednesday as seven new cases were confirmed. Genomic sequencing has linked the outbreak to the highly contagious Delta COVID variant. The Central Epidemic Command Center warns that Delta is already spreading in the community. Today we have seven local cases and they're related to the preschool cluster from yesterday. The preschool cluster has grown and spread in the community. The COVID cluster involving a preschool in New Taipei's Banqiao district has expanded. So far, 1,062 people have been identified as contacts of known COVID cases. Among them, 1,013 have been placed in isolation. As of Wednesday, there are 23 confirmed cases in the cluster. The CECC warned that Delta has already entered the community. Three neighbors of an infected family were confirmed positive on Wednesday. They all live in the same apartment complex, where six cases have been found so far. In this building, some people downstairs were confirmed with COVID. I heard that they made the announcement at 6 on Tuesday. The testing squad arrived at 7. There are two buildings in the apartment complex. There are 400 residents in the building with COVID cases. These 400 people have been placed in isolation, one to a room. The residents in the other building are conducting self-health management. On Wednesday, genetic sequencing results came out for 10 of the cases in the preschool cluster. It is indeed the Delta variant. We also compared the strains and found that the Delta strain that infected the pilots is different from that found in these 10 cases. That is to say, the clusters have different sources. Although the preschool cluster is growing, the cluster involving pilots in Taoyuan appears to have stabilized. Results came back negative for all 283 tests administered to airline staff. We've tested 283 people and results all came back negative. As for the contacts of cases 16119 and 16120, so far 306 people have tested negative. Results are still pending for eight contacts, so the majority have been confirmed negative. The health minister said both Delta clusters involve schools, which can complicate epidemic investigations. He said the CCC would work to contain the outbreak as soon as possible. New Taipei has tightened its COVID measures once again after lab results show that its preschool cluster was caused by the Delta variant. For one week, starting Thursday, all public sports facilities will be closed and restaurants will once again be banned from offering dining services. In addition, scenic attractions will have to run at reduced capacity. Let's hear from the new Taipei mayor. From September 9th to September 15th, food and drink establishments and food courts will be takeout only. Why just one week for now? It's because the economic impact of this ban is quite significant. We're going to do all we can this week to bring the outbreak under control. All places visited by known COVID cases have been disinfected. These include Hualien Railway Station and stops along the Taipei MRT's red and blue lines. People who have been to these areas are asked to closely monitor their health for possible symptoms. Cuba became the first in the world this week to give COVID vaccines to children as young as two years old. While here in Taiwan, no COVID vaccine has been approved for use on children under 12. 
But with the preschool outbreak spreading fast, the CECC is facing growing pressure to speed up vaccines for kids. With cases piling up in New Taipei's preschool cluster, parents fear for their unvaccinated young children. In most countries, including Taiwan, the minimum age for vaccination is 12. But over in Cuba, vaccines have rolled out for children as young as two. When you're giving flu vaccines to children aged eight and under, you have to administer two shots. It's not like how it is with adults who need just one. There may be a similar issue with the COVID vaccines. For these vaccines, if children are inoculated the same way as adults with two doses, it might not produce a good protective effect. Physician Li Bingying says that two COVID vaccine doses may not be enough to offer protection in children. Cuba has a population of about 11.2 million. So far, it's reported more than 600 190,000 COVID cases and more than 5,700 deaths. The country is administering two different locally developed vaccines on young children, the Abdallah and the Soberana 02. They are yet to be recognized by the World Health Organization. When asked if mRNA vaccines would be suitable for young children, Lee had this to say. The vaccines that we are now using are all quite safe. So, broadly speaking, we wouldn't expect them to have any special adverse reactions in children. Currently, it seems that mRNA vaccines are more likely to cause myocarditis in younger people. So, when testing these vaccines on children, caution is a must. You have to investigate whether the younger children are more likely to develop myocarditis. mRNA vaccines generally offer high levels of protection, but Lee warned that children may be more at risk for certain reactions. Currently, young children are vaccinated for many diseases, including hepatitis B and Japanese encephalitis. Experts say that, in theory, there's no reason why children can't be vaccinated against COVID, but that the safety risks must be carefully studied first. Double 10 National Day is just a month away. The Interior Ministry said due to Taiwan's Delta outbreak, this year's celebration will be scaled down by nearly half, from 7,500 participants to about 4,000. The ministry said that this plan will be reassessed on a rolling basis. Also on Wednesday, the National Day Preparatory Committee unveiled this year's promotional logo. It's a bright gold double 10 symbol accented by a green line and a magenta line. Organizers said that the gold represents sunshine and is a reminder that even in dark times, the sun always comes out tomorrow. They said the lines running through the logo reflect the strong ties between Taiwan and other countries. Have you got what it takes to be a bus driver? If you want to learn more about handling large vehicles and upcoming bus driver boot camp is your chance. This one-day camp gives participants a taste of the theory and practical knowledge that bus drivers need. Our very own Stephanie Yang has a preview. To reduce accidents, a bus company has launched a bus training camp. Teachers teach students how to navigate various situations on the road. This bus driver in training focuses on the road ahead, guided by the instructor. It's his first time practicing an S-turn. We're at a trial session of a bus driver boot camp organized by Guoguang Motor Transportation and a national bus association. Trainees can try their hand at S-turns, reverse parking, and parallel parking, all in a giant bus. Fifteen trainees got a preview of the camp during the trial run. 
I'm participating in this special training class because I've never driven such a big vehicle. The biggest takeaway from the training was learning about S-turns and learning some principles taught by our coach. I'm interested in working as a driver. Every instructor has a different approach, but they are all quite strict. It's good for us to learn more and get into the situation faster. I'm a software engineer and I didn't know much about this industry. I wanted to learn more about how driving instructors and bus companies train employees to see all the effort that is put into training new drivers. Next time I ride a bus, I'll be more aware of the hard work the driver had to put into the profession. Organizers hope the camp will improve awareness of what bus driving is all about and even improve traffic safety. They also hope to recruit new drivers for the industry. There will be activities where we get them to shadow other drivers. There will also be seminars. We hope to train any drivers interested. We can teach them about inner tire wear and about passenger safety. We hope the activities can get them to better understand the bus transport industry. We also hope that everyone can learn about the daily life of bus drivers. We welcome anyone with an interest in buses to come. There are no special restrictions. During the pandemic, the passenger transport industry saw a decrease in business and shortage of drivers. This company says it's hungry for new talent. Business was, of course, greatly affected. Due to the pandemic, we are also experiencing a shortage of drivers and are having difficulties planning workshops and so on. We have nearly 200 driver vacancies. Organizers hope to train aspiring bus drivers and correct unsafe driving habits to make roads safer. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Chen Shenhan in Taipei. A top candidate for Japan's next prime minister says Taiwan is the front line of democracy and that Japan must build up its capabilities to counter Chinese aggression. Speaking to the Wall Street Journal, former min Japanese foreign minister Kishida Fumio said his country should hold simulations with the U.S. to prepare a response to a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Kishida is one of two top frontrunners in Japan's leadership race, which will be decided in a party election on September 29th. Shortly after that, Japan will hold its general election for its House of Representatives. Taiwan scholars say that for these two elections, Taiwan will prove to be a key campaign issue. Following his appearance at the Taiwan-Japan Virtual Security Dialogue, Japanese parliamentarian Sato Masahisa placed another conference call to Taiwan on Wednesday. Japan is very supportive of Taiwan's participation in international organizations. Taiwan's absence is not only a pity for Japan, but also for the world. Besides reiterating his support for Taiwan's inclusion in global organizations, he also said that as China ramps up its pressure on the island, Japan, the U.S. and Taiwan should push back together by creating a diplomatic and defense mechanism. A day earlier, Japan Defense Minister Kishi Nobuo said in an interview that Japan would not be able to avoid involvement if a crisis occurred in Taiwan. The defense chief said once again that Taiwan's stability was critical to Japanese security and global stability. Former Japanese Foreign Minister Kashida Fumio has also declared strong support for Taiwan. Kashida, who's seen as a top contender for Japan's next prime minister, 
told the Wall Street Journal that Japan must continually update its countermeasures against Beijing to prepare for a conflict involving Taiwan. He said that Japan would not be able to respond to China alone. He said Japan could not respond without the U.S. and that it was important that Japan and the U.S. conduct simulations of that joint response. It was one of many statements showing how Taiwan has become a top priority for Japan. Scholars say Japan's support. Tropical storm Chenthu was upgraded to a typhoon Wednesday morning. It's picking up speed and could strengthen into a severe typhoon by Thursday. The storm was previously on course to make landfall on Taiwan, but it's veered south under the impact of the Pacific High, lowering the chance of a direct hit. Let's hear from the CWB. By the time it reaches Taiwan, it'll likely be what we consider a weak severe typhoon, or it will have weakened into a standard typhoon. The radius of the storm is quite small, so there are many uncertainties over its path of approach. We'll need to monitor the situation further before deciding when to issue a land warning. Chen Thu is expected to make its closest approach to Taiwan between Saturday and Monday. A sea warning could be issued as early as Thursday night. Two ancient human skeletons found earlier this year in Jiayi City were fully excavated this week and transported to Tainan's Museum of Archaeology. The remains belong to a man and a woman who lived in Jiayi about 2,500 years ago. They were buried facing each other and their hands behind their backs. Archaeologists believe that the two of them were family members. Earlier this year, two ancient human skeletons were discovered at a railway construction site in Jiayi City. They are estimated to be about 2,500 years old. They are the first archaeological finding of its kind in the city. Considering the way in which these two skeletons were interred, I think they must have had some kind of kinship. They may have even been family from the same household. Now we have some basis for carrying out further research on human activity in the surrounding area. The remains were found on the construction site of a railway elevation project, which is currently 30% complete. The two skeletons belong to a man and a woman. The way they were buried, with their arms behind their backs, suggests that they were related. The remains have been sent to the Museum of Archaeology in Tainan for preservation. The archaeological work won't affect our construction plans. We have a fixed timeline. Trains will start running on the elevated railway by late 2025. The project will continue as scheduled. Archaeological findings have been few and far between in Jiayi, making the skeletons particularly significant for the city. The tomb, which dates back to the late Neolithic period, could shed light on a prehistoric culture known for its grey-black pottery. 
这个遗址的年代来讲是处于。In terms of age, this site goes back to Taiwan's prehistoric culture to the late Neolithic. That's more or less the spring and autumn period in China. Of course, at the same time, they were at different development stages. In China, they may have already begun making bronze artifacts, but the humans in Taiwan may have been at a different stage of development. The two skeletons have been sent to the Museum of Archaeology in Tainan, a branch of the National Museum of Prehistory, where they'll be studied further. Afterward, the remains will be returned to Jiayi City for safekeeping. Situated at the mouth of Danshui River, Guanning Mountain is just a short drive from Taiwan's capital, but it can feel like a world away. For two months, the Tourism Bureau is offering free tours that introduce locals to the extensive biodiversity of this inactive volcanic mountain. Stephanie Yang takes us there. At Guanning Mountain, you can pick bamboo shoots. Guanning Mountain is the main bamboo shoot production area in northern Taiwan. Guanning Mountain is famed for producing sweet and juicy bamboo shoots. The harvest season lasts each year from May to October. Here at this farm, visitors can stop by every Saturday to pick their own bamboo shoots. You can also cook and eat what you harvest. The first step is to remove the sheath, and the second is to get rid of the leaves underneath. After peeling the sheath and the leaves, cut off the end. And cook it separately for 20 to 30 minutes. That way, it will not be bitter. You can also boil the ends, fry them with bean paste, and add a bit of spice. It's delicious. While you're on Guanning Mountain, be sure to stop by the Raptor Museum. Opened in September 2020, it's the first museum in northern Taiwan that's dedicated to birds of prey. It introduces Guanning Shan's raptors and ecology through words, pictures, and interactive multimedia such as VR. This raptor centers mainly focuses on raptors in the northern region. There are interactive installations here, such as. Models of raptor grips and an installation on how raptors catch prey. From September 5th to October 31st, the North Coast and Guanningshan National Scenic Area Administration will run events up at Guanning Mountain. Aside from bamboo picking and museum tours, visitors can explore the area's trails and go on guided tours. We launched a series of hiking tours and other tours because Guanning Mountain has seven hiking trails. There is a tour for every fitness level. There is an advanced level, intermediate, and beginner level. We'll hold roughly 20 hiking tours. Along the way, you'll see eagles and plants, and go on a mini ecological tour. You can reserve online. There will also be slots for drop-ins. All the activities are free. Visitors can sign up for the free activities on AccuPass. Through the tours, organizers hope to introduce the beauty of Guanning Mountain to all. For most of news, Stephanie Yang, Chen Shenhan, in New Taipei City. COVID has hit many food businesses hard, but some are now bouncing back. Let's meet a young entrepreneur who has kept her business afloat through the storm. Seven years ago, Xu Tingxuan founded her creme brulee business while still an undergraduate. From humble beginnings, she expanded to open two stores in Taipei, developing an array of original dessert recipes. Sugar go into the bowl. Then it's time to carefully remove the seeds from the Tahitian vanilla pods. 
As they boil, the chef is busy cracking eggs and whisking them to an even mixture. Everything goes into aluminum ramekins to be baked. Finally, the creme brulees emerge from the oven. They're sprinkled with a little more sugar, blowtorch, and an irresistible scent fills the air. This is the winning recipe that Chef Xu perfected over more than 1,000 prototypes. The toughest thing was developing the recipe. I think my failed brulees could probably fill up a three-story building. They were too hard or too soft or not creamy enough or whatever. In her fourth year at college, she set up a creme brulee stand on the street to hawk her desserts. She built up a reputation before daring to rent a store and going for her dream. Initially, I wanted a store to co-rent with someone else. After looking around a bit, it seemed Gongguan is a place where students congregate. Gradually, she invested over 1 million NT in two shops to sell her desserts. She painted them herself to reduce costs and put together flat packs of tables and chairs. Now, in good months, she sells 5,000 individual desserts. The level 3 alert restrictions in May forced her to close her smaller store. We only had the Jingmei store open at that point. The most awful moment was the day when I only had three customers. I was questioning my life. Fortunately, she made it through and business is brisk again. A corporation recently put in an encouraging order for 1,000 brulees. She started out with a humble stall, but her hard work and persistence have carved out a place in sweet lovers' hearts.